Indonesia, the country of 270 million people, of nearly 15,000 islands, the country with the largest economy of Southeast Asia and with the largest Muslim population worldwide, and the country where I will live for one year, more specifically in Bandung, a big city on the island of Java. In this podcast, I will take you to the life in Indonesia and I will update you about the culture, politics and economy of this fascinating country. The topic of today's podcast will be about small-sized, low-priced fish, either dried, fresh or conserved. Easy to find at the local fish market, low in economic value, high in protein, smelly though, but most importantly, widely consumed by the Indonesian rural poor and therefore a very important element in improving the nutritional value in the diet of these people. This affordable small fish is also an important source of livelihood for millions of coastal fishing families, processors and traders in Indonesia. This fish is thus both food of and for the poor. That's how demand and supply work. Nothing special about it, you would say. However, this type of fish and the whole trade network behind it is often overlooked in government policies. And most academic attention goes to the bigger, more expensive fish like tuna. But due to several challenges, such as climatological changes, overfishing, difficulties with transport and changing food preferences, the low-priced fish trade network is under threat and should absolutely deserve more attention. Because it's especially these kind of fisheries, the small and low-priced marine fish like sardines, mackerel and anchovies, that are essential for food and nutritional security of many poor people in Indonesia and so might help Indonesia in its battle against high levels of stunting, which are even reaching worrying levels of 55% in areas such as North Sumatra. Therefore, it is time to devote a podcast about this type of fish trade networks. I will explain a bit more about the importance of fish for Indonesia, both in economic and health terms. I will also talk with two researchers who decided to dive into research on the small-sized and low-priced types of fish. So let us first look at the population of Indonesia and the importance of food. More specifically, the importance of fish in their diets. In a populous country like Indonesia, every day around 286 million mouths have to be fed. And it's expected that this will increase up to 293 million in 2035. In a country where food is so closely intertwined with people's social and cultural life, expenditure on food is very dominant. And surprisingly, the lowest class in Indonesian society tends to spend the largest part of their income on food. How much of income is exactly spent on the low-priced fish Yeah, that is varying per location, season, class and ethnicity. But statistics from the Indonesian Ministry of Marine Affairs and Fisheries state that fish consumption per capita per year in Indonesia was projected to reach 50 kilograms in the year 2019. Then looking at the fish sector in Indonesia. 
This must be of huge importance if you consider Indonesia's geographical location as a nation surrounded by water. And indeed, fish plays a vital role in the life of Indonesians. In terms of income, employment and nutrition, the fish sector in Indonesia manages fish from the very first moment that the fish is in the sea until it's processed, packaged and available in the local market or supermarket. So you can imagine how many people are involved in these fish networks, from fishermen to processor to trader to consumer. Fish sellers do not only simply sell their catch of the day, but this process of selling also intertwines with a whole range of social relations. The seller sells to the family and friends, mobile sellers go around in their neighborhoods, build up a network of trust with their consumers, share knowledge with their customers. It's also not uncommon that the fish is sold alongside many other things. So to increase the income of the seller, you can just buy your fish and a new SIM card at the same time. In a global perspective, the importance of fish in Indonesia also becomes clear. Some statistics. After China, Indonesia is the second largest producer of marine fish worldwide and the third largest consumer of seafood globally after Japan and China. Besides that, Indonesia is the largest tropical seaweed producer and also number one exporter of dried seaweed. Around 12 million Indonesians are employed in the fisheries industry, with 2.7 million Indonesians working across borders. The country shares the largest portion of migrant fishers across the globe. Most of them are working in Taiwan. Then a quick look at Indonesia's food policy related to fish. According to the law, food supply must be sufficient, safe, of high quality, affordable and in harmony with religion, beliefs and culture. Wow! If I were a fisherman, I wouldn't think of all these requirements when in the moment of catching my fish. Besides that, the Indonesian government highly prioritizes food production rather than the import of food. Under President Jokowi's first term in the year 2015, Indonesia's fishing industry grew with 8.4%, far above the country's overall economic growth of 4.7%. Improved laws by the Ministry of Fisheries, such as law enforcement against illegal fishing, directly proved to be a success. Although the country's huge potential to develop their maritime and fishery sectors to produce, supply and consume food from the sea, challenges are ahead. We need to understand the opportunities and challenges within these fish trade networks. As I already mentioned before, trade networks of the more expensive types of fish like tuna are widely researched well, there is still little known about the smaller and cheaper types of fish that actually play such an important role in the life of the poor. Perhaps this type of fish is just not very sexy to do research about. It's smelly, it's cheap, food for the poor and therefore attached to some negative stigmas. However, the project Innovative Knowledge About Networks Fish for Food, or abbreviated as ICANF3, is one of the first researchers that shed its light on this type of fish and the challenges attacked. ICAN means fish in Indonesian language. Recently, the researchers of ICAN F3 
gathered together in Bogor, West Java, to discuss about this topic and how to achieve their aim of improving the contribution of small fish trade networks to the food security of low-income consumers in rural areas in Indonesia. Their research, being financed by the Netherlands Organization for Scientific Research and the Indonesian Government of Research, Technology and Higher Education, is essential in the contribution to SDG 2 on eradicating hunger and SDG 14 on promoting the conservation of marine resources. In order to create a better understanding of small fish trade networks, the Econ F3 team deals with questions like how does fish reach the consumers and how does the trade network work? How do other dimensions like climate and gender intertwine with these networks wherefore studying it might be a window on something else? Also, is there a stigma on food for the poor wherefore these fish trade networks are quite invisible? Time to have a little conversation with some of the researchers involved in Econ F3. Their names are Kiana Dipananda and Sharon Suri, both PhD candidates at the University of Amsterdam. Please, ladies, could you quickly introduce yourself and tell us what you are working on? So, my name is Sharon Surrey, and um, I joined this project almost a year ago. Before that, I was working with World Fish in Penang, Malaysia, um, and I was excited to have this opportunity to focus on fish and food security in Indonesia. Uh, hi, my name is Kiana. Um, I'm also uh, one of the PhD candidates for this uh, ICAN F3 project. Um, before, I was studying in, in Wageningen, um, focusing on marine governance. And for my PhD, um, I have more focus on household uh, food security, um, especially from women perspective. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, Sharon, can you briefly explain what are these small fish trade networks actually? Well, there's a number of ways to look at it. So we, for our research, are focusing um, primarily on cheap fish or low price fish. Now often, but not always, often these fish happen to also be quite small. So you can talk about small pelagics such as sardines or anchovies. Um, and so, so you've got the size element, you've got the price element. But a lot of these fish also come from small-scale fishers or artisanal fishers. So these are some of the characteristics we talk about. Yeah. And why is it actually so important then to like, pay attention on these types of fish? So these particular fish, these, these cheap fish, these small, often small fish, um, ten, we believe that they play a vital role in food and nutrition security in many communities. However, there's a lot of demands on these fish. Because they're so nutritionally dense, um, they're actually used as an input into animal feeds, such as feeds for aquaculture, so feeding to other fish, or feeding to poultry and even pet food. Um, so it's important in our eyes to focus on the fish, how the role that these fish play in local food and nutrition security, because right now so much of the research focuses on how on the production and trade of expensive fish, which typically goes to middle or upper income consumers, or is sent out for export. Sharon, you are uh, focusing on the fish sellers. Why did you choose to focus on the fish seller, actually? So for me, the we can if we think of a rough idea of the chain, we have fish where it's being produced, and that can be from 
fishers. That can also be from fish farmers, so aquaculture. There's multiple kinds of production. And we talk about fish consumers, so the people who are buying and, or getting fish and eating it goes into their bodies. But there's often this sort of black box around, well, how does fish get from these producers to these consumers? Um, and that's the bit that's, that's really caught my attention. It tends to be an under-researched area. Um, and so often we t you might hear government policies and things or targets around, we want to achieve this amount of fish production. We want to have this many tons or, or, or these different species. Um, but my next question to that is, well, what species are being eaten locally? So which fish are the people um, in Indonesia eating and, and who's eating which fish? Uh, again, if we talk a lot about, say, shrimp production or grouper production, much of that would go as export to other countries in Asia. Um, but these are some of the fish that the government has a lot of targets on. Whereas what fish is actually reaching um, poor people or orang yang kurang mampu, as, they, as we sometimes say here, that for me is a much more, more interesting area. Who enables the movement? We also have to remember that fish is a highly perishable product. So if you have fresh fish, um, you've, got, you've got a clock ticking on how you have to manage that before you have wastage or spoilage from that. Yeah. Kiana, you're focusing on the consumers. Uh, can you tell us a bit more how that looks like in practice? As we know, um, like in Madura society, where I'm studying at, I'm studying in Madura, um, the mother and other female members are um, they are the one who generally play a vital role in cooking, preparing the food, um, and then buying fish and then choosing the fish for the family. So um, I'm interested in looking at, um, so how do these women access the fish? Where do they buy the fish? What kind of fish do they buy? Um, and this leads me to um, uh, an, act an activity that I found interesting earlier in my field work, which is following the mobile traders. In Indonesia and most of the country in Southeast Asia, um, they have this mobile traders uh, or peddlers or funders. They are using a um, motorcycle, so they sell vegetables, fish, tofu, all the raw kind of foods. And uh, I found one um, in the market and I follow her. So I follow her every day from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, and in following uh, her journey, her business uh, activities, I found this woman uh, fish consumers, which is also happens to be her customers. So Kiana, at this moment, you're still quite in the beginning phase of your research. Um, what are your plans for the upcoming months or years? What do you hope to achieve? Okay, so as I'm finished following the mobile fish trader, I found one village where I'm going to stay and I want to unpack the food practices um, in the community because I believe that food practices are often embedded in social class and also culture. So the rich and the poor have different kind of food or fish preferences uh, based on their particular context and background. Um, and I also um, found that there are growing um, um, evidence um, that uh, there are a lot of multiple um, dimensions of food um, embedded in social cultural aspect, which I'm really interested in. And for the next phase of my research, I want to know uh, how 
consumption is influenced by all these things. So more on the social cultural aspect on why people eating this fish. Okay, ladies, thank you for your interesting explanations. Um, whereas I, in the beginning of this podcast, talked about the potential of Indonesia's fishing industry, I would now like to dive a bit further into the challenges that are ahead. If we look at the side of the consumers, we see that due to Indonesia's good growing economy, people are able to buy more and more expensive, which makes them able and willing to change their food consumption patterns. As Kiana already explained, eating particular food can show your identity as low or higher class. So when people are becoming richer, they don't want to eat this small, smelly, low-priced fish anymore. Nowadays, important food products such as soybean, peanuts, garlic and meat are becoming more and more popular. So one of the biggest challenges on the distribution side is limited production infrastructure and human power within these trade networks. It leads to rising costs for logistics, while production quality remains low. Often, places where people fish and the place where they store it in cool stores are far from each other. And as mentioned by Sharon, the rise of the fish meal industry also poses a threat to the fish food security. This fish meal industry buys the low value fish, dries it and subsequently uses it for poultry. And related to Sharon her research on the supply side, learns us that one of the biggest challenges here is the exploitation of marine resources due to overfishing and instability and insecurity through changes in Indonesia's climate. So hopefully the research of ICAM F3 will yield important information on these networks as well as that everybody involved within will receive more attention in government policies. At the end of this podcast, there's still one question remaining I would like to ask. Sharon, I'm just curious, like you're working on fish all day. You go to the fish markets, you write about fish, you talk about fish. Do you still eat fish then for dinner or lunch? Of course, fish are uh, fish-tastic, I like to say. Um, uh, Yeah, I, I really enjoy getting to to there's such a diversity of fish i really enjoy learning about all these different aspects of them where are they coming from and how are they grown and 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 i really enjoy eating them too so that helps kiana and i like to joke that with our research we we always leave hungry because we've been talking about all this delicious indonesian food um and i always find myself wanting to go shopping after talking to all these traders and how all these things move around and i'm Maybe in a past life I was a trader myself, I don't know. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned something new. If you have comments or perhaps an interesting topic for next podcast, please let me know. See you next time or Sampai Jumpa!